Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we worship you this morning. We thank you for all the snow you've given us. Thank you for sunshine. And we thank you that we are not left without hope. There are answers. There's truth. We can know you. And so, Father, we thank you that on a Sunday morning you've brought us to this place. Uh, we pray that our souls, our hearts, our minds would be, would be open and attentive and that you would speak to us. God, we pray that today as we enter our third sermon from the book of Exodus, as we begin chapter 2, that you would help us to further understand that you would move in our hearts. God, reveal yourself to us today, even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, we finished up chapter 1 last week, so here we go, moving into chapter 2. We're going to get the first 10 verses today, uh, and then next week we'll be able to keep going. Chapter 2, hopefully finish up chapter 2 next week. Moving right along, I don't intend to cover the whole 40 chapters of Exodus this way, but this beginning stuff is so <clears throat> crucial and uh, fundamental in understanding the whole story that, that this is the way we're going. Uh, up until now, we have seen the transition from the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus. The Bible begins with God creating for his glory. God creates anything for his glory. And so he makes things. But the things that God has made have turned away from him instead of trusting in him. Sin has entered the world. And the rest of the Bible is God redeeming the lost, the sinfulness, that which is broken, making it making it right. And so through the through the book of Genesis, we have God saying, no, I will create a people. I'm going to create a people that will love me and will worship me. And what you have going on in the rest of the, the story of the Bible is God doing that. What you're living in right now is God doing that. That's why, you know, some people you've seen some whose lives have been absolutely changed and now they love God. Why? Because God's doing what he promised he would do early on in the Bible. But this nation that he's creating uh, is being led really by this one Joseph dies. And so the book of Exodus begins with the nation growing. God is blessing it, but the leader has died. They're, they're in Egypt and the new king or Pharaoh of Egypt doesn't know Joseph and doesn't care that they're the people of God and doesn't care who they say they are or what they're doing. And so he starts oppression. You remember last week was about him uh, really in three attempts to weaken them, to make them smaller. The first thing he does um, is he tries to make them work hard. He just puts hard, strenuous limits on them, hoping to make them weak. But that doesn't work. The Bible says they got stronger. Then he starts getting angry about it. So he starts telling the Hebrew midwives, so, so the people of the people of God, the midwives, he tells them to kill the sons when they're born. But they don't do it. The Bible says they feared God, so they did not listen to the king. They did what they knew that they should do. They did not kill the babies. So he gets even more mad because they're still growing, they're getting stronger. And then as chapter 1 ends, if you look in your Bible at verse 22 of chapter 1, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And so now Pharaoh has told everybody in Egypt, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're young or old, if you see a baby that's a boy born of the Israelites, then you take that baby and you throw it into the river, the Nile River. Let's kill them all. That was the... That was the states, that was the power, that was that country's leadership's command. And that's where chapter 1 ended last week. So, needless to say, the future of the people of Israel did not look good. Things looked bad. It was dark. It was scary. It's not a good time to be living in. Okay? So chapter 2 is going to begin today with the need for hope. So I've, I've titled this sermon, and it's in your bulletin, The Birth of a Savior. Now, obviously, you know that when we start talking about the birth of a Savior, that brings us to the idea of Christmas. The fact that God came to us, Jesus was born, okay? And, and that's what we're getting at, and that's where we want this to end today. But I want you to see right now, make connections to your own life, that the people of Israel were in a rough, rough time. The future did not look good. They were asking, what are we going to do? And we see yet God again, even as Andrew Berry prayed, God working in a bad situation, doing good. Exodus chapter 2 
is going to continue this fascinating story. I've told you from the beginning that you're going to love Exodus. There is so much good stuff in the book of Exodus that's going to keep you entertained. You're going to be thinking, wow, I love just hearing this. I love reading this. This is good stuff. And it is even still today. Read with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 2. We'll read the first ten verses. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she had saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to the bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. It's fascinating. I want you to hear two points today from this passage that we're going to see. That will apply so mightily, I think, to your life. The first is standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God. The second, standing in the providence of God. Standing in the providence of God. Number one, standing on the promises of God. Number two, standing in the providence of God. Let's look at this. Number one, standing on the promises of God. Of God. Well, I just told you how chapter one ends, right? Things don't look good. They are living in Egypt. They are now hundreds of thousands of people. Okay? They are big. They are strong. The Bible says that God just keeps blessing them. The oppression gets stronger. They get greater. It's wild. God is clearly at work in this, which we talked about last week. So chapter one ends with the king saying, okay, we can't stop them. I want everybody in the country, if you see a baby boy of the people of Israel, kill it. Throw it into the Nile. That's where it ends. Well, look how chapter two begins. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Now, under normal circumstances, this sounds great, right? Husband and wife come together. She gets pregnant. They're going to have a baby. Let's celebrate that. I want to remind you all that we have a baby shower tonight for Andrew and Wendy Berry right after church. They're going to have a baby. We're going to celebrate that, right? That's a good thing. And it is a good thing. God has told them just a few chapters back, be fruitful and multiply, reproduce, reproduce. God's great promise that all of us are still leaning on today is I will make of you a great nation. You're going to have children and children and children and children. So this man taking his wife and them getting pregnant is exactly what God has promised. It is an answer to their prayers. It is a a desire of their heart. God is giving them a family and God has said, I'm going to create huge families. So in one sense right now, God is doing what he said he would do. They are standing on the promises of God. God has told us to have families. He's told mothers and fathers to raise their children. He's told us to teach them about God. He's told us to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. He's told us to train them up in the way that they should go. They are standing on the promises of God. But when you put, look, chapter 1, verse 22, with chapter 2, verse 1, it's like, oh, man. That, that really stinks. She's pregnant. As soon as the baby's born, if it's a boy, everybody in the country is said to kill it. You see, it doesn't look good. But this is where I want you to hear my first point. They're standing on the promises of God. If you would go forward just a little bit further, uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, you don't have to turn there. It tells us, going through the genealogy, who these people are. The man's name is Amram and the woman's name is Jochebed. So you have Amram and Jochebed. That's Moses' parents. That's who it's talking about here. Notice, though, thinking about moving forward as Moses becomes this great leader of the people of Israel, okay, that he was born a Levite, right? The Levites were the spiritual leaders of the people of Israel. They were the priestly line. 
So right now, in this little bit of, of providence, which is going to be my second point, you still have Moses being born here to a Levite man and a Levite woman, Amram and Jochebed, which we don't even know their names here. Remember, I pointed that out last week. In the first five chapters of the book of Exodus, you don't have any names. Who are the only names in the first five chapters of the book of Exodus? Shifra and Puah. Who are they? The midwives who feared God and did not listen to the king. Saved the children's lives. It's awesome. Those are the only names you know. So here we don't even know who this, this man and woman are. We learn that later in the genealogy in chapter 6 of verse 20 when it says this is Moses' parents. But nevertheless, they come together in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Interesting. The command of anybody living in Egypt is that if they see him, he's got to be killed. And yet, although she was not Egyptian, so she's not going to just go and do that. This mother now has a baby and the baby is is good and healthy and she knows that it's hers and all that. So she's thinking, I'm keeping. And matter of fact, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to love on him. I want you to see here that there are a lot of times in life where circumstances might cause us to think, I can't do what I ought to do right now. Okay? There are a lot of times in life, especially you start talking about relationships, okay? Especially you start talking about money and financial struggles. When you get in life and things are not going well for you, and maybe it's because of bad bad decisions or maybe it's not, you find yourself in a position that you don't like. You start justifying in your mind, it's okay for me to start doing this. How many young people you know who know they're going to get married so they think it's okay to sleep together, right? How many young people you know whose parents aren't good to them so they think it's okay to be rude, disrespectful, wrong, disobedient back to their parents, right? How many young people you know who think, you know, I ain't got anybody that cares about me anyway, so I don't need to care about anything. No matter what I do in school, nobody cares about me, right? How many people you know at work who don't like their boss... So they justify it's okay to be wrong to the boss, right? Or to slack on the job. And so on and so on. Can I tell you here today that you might have a lot of excuses for the way you are, but that is not standing on the promises of God. The person who is a believer in Jesus says, you're my authority. And my circumstances may be great, or my circumstances may be horrible. They don't determine who I am. They don't determine my identity. They don't determine my identity. They don't determine my acceptance. You do, God. And I know what you've told me to be, and that's what I will be. I love it that Jochebed is in this situation that sounds or looks awful. She's with the baby. And the king says, everybody be on the lookout for Israelite boys. If you see one, throw him into the Nile. And she determines she's going to take care of him. She's going to do what any good godly mom knows to do. Take the child, love him, care for him, raise him up. And that's what she's doing. Look at verse 3. When she could hide him no longer... She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. This is fascinating. It gets to the point now where she's taken care of the baby so long that now it's three months. And once the baby gets to be three months, you know, they're bigger. Honestly, for the first three months in in, in Valen, I know we've we've been through three-month-old babies four times now. By the time the baby's three months old, or up until the three months, you can easily just nurse them or rock them and put them to sleep and kind of keep them quiet all the time. Instead of waiting until they're hungry and they're crying, you nurse them a little bit early, right? When you can tell they're about to get sleepy, you put them to sleep. And you can keep the baby quiet. And apparently, this is what she's done. None of the people have been able to see. Now, obviously, she could have set up, like, warning signs, too. Hey, if you ever see an Egyptian, come tell me, you know, something like that. But she has hidden this baby for three months. But it's gotten to the point now where she can't hide the baby anymore. Standing on the promises of God for her, taking care of this life, raising this child is about to get very challenging. And and, and Jochebed rules or decides, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Don't know what I'm going to do. But she doesn't just go kill the baby. 
She doesn't throw it in a dumpster, which is so sad that we've heard about many times. You know, we hear about other parts of the world where people have children that can't take care of them. So what do they do? They go throw them out. Just get rid of them that way, right? We hear about that a lot. She doesn't do that. So she starts taking the baby and putting it in a basket and then hiding it. Now, I think sometimes when you read this, it sounds like she put it in the river so it could be gone. That's not what she's doing. She's got it in the reed on the bank of the river just so it's hiding there. I don't know if you've ever been by a river, but there's a lot of like white noise there, right? If the, even if the baby was crying or something like that, people weren't going to know it. So what she's doing is she's just hiding the baby there. Now, if that was me or you, we'd be thinking, well, what are you thinking? I mean, what's the future going to be? What are you going to do when he's five, right? You're not going to keep doing that. What are you going to do? But I want you to learn what it means to be a believer in God. We have no idea what tomorrow will bring. We don't know if that Pharaoh's just going to die and a new one's going to come in and says, I love the Israelite babies. You don't know. She had no idea. All she knew to do was, God's given me this child. He expects me to take care of it. That's what I'll do. I'll stand upon the promises of God. And that's what she's doing. Can I tell you today that God's not asking you to have the next 10 years of your life planned out step by step by step by step by step so that you will have everything perfect and there'll be no drama. God is asking you to say, I'm holding on, God. Wherever you lead me, I'll go. The Bible even says in, in many different cases that you have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. There's one place where this guy just keeps saving up money and saving up money and saving up money. And then he gets really successful on top of that. And he says, what am I going to do with all of this success? He says, I know what I'll do. I'm going to build some more barns and I'll put all of my money in those barns. It's actually crops, but it's talking about wealth. I'll put all of my crops in those barns. I'll have tons. And then God comes to him and says, man, you're foolish. Your life's going to be taken from you tonight. You're dying tonight. Why are you saving up that much? Now, he's not saying don't save, but he's saying you don't save absolutely everything and never do anything with your money. What's the point of that? What's the point of a farmer dying with every single bit of his wealth in the barn and never did anything with it for the glory of God? The hungry to feed. The poor to reach. Stuff to do with it. And so what God's teaching us in that is that there's a real element to life that says, I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring. My car might break down, and so I do need to have money saved up to pay for that car. But at the same time, okay, I might die tomorrow, and so I don't need to have every single bit of dollars there. And so you and I need to learn to live standing on the promises of God. You and I need to learn to be able to say, God, what would you have me do right now in this place, at this time, in this situation, with these circumstances? We need to learn truly, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, to walk by faith and not by sight. Sight will cause you, listen to me, walking by sight will cause you to live just like Successful lost people. Not dumb lost people, successful lost people. Walking by sight, having complete control over your situation at all times, will cause you to walk just like successful lost people. Can I encourage you today to be on guard, to not have a life that matches up 100% with your lost friends? Walking by faith will say, God, what do you want me to do with this time, with this money? God, what do you want me to do with that need? God, what do you want me to do with all this stuff? God, what do you want me to do with my free time? God, I've got, I'm retired, but I've got a lot of energy left. I've got a lot of strength. How would you like me to use that? Her situation did not look good, did it? Jochebed's situation did not look good. Baby's so big now, she can't hide him anymore in her little house. So she decides, I'm going to start hiding him in the river. Life being busy and the river going, that's what she's decided. I want to point out something to you awesome here that we would never pick up in English. I don't know why. It says in verse 3 that she could hide him no longer, so she took for him a basket. That word in the original is teba, and the word teba is only found one other place in the Bible. You know where? Genesis. It's the ark. Fascinating. That word basket is only found one other place in the Bible. It's at Genesis 6 through 9. The ark with Noah. 
What was God doing with the ark? God was about to save somebody so that he could use them for his glory. God said to Noah, get in the boat. Noah got in the boat. The Bible tells us specifically, God shut the door. If you're in the boat, you were safe. If you weren't in the boat, you're in trouble. You're about to be judged. You're going to die. The people of Israel are in a position right now where the future is about to get bad. The king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, does not care anything about their success, anything about their honor, their integrity. He doesn't care that Joseph helped Egypt. He doesn't care. He is here. He's worried about the people of Israel going great. He's going to put a stop to it. He makes an all-out rule, kill all the babies. But the mom of Moses, Jochebed, said, I'm going to stand on the promises of God. I don't know what I can do. This kid's getting too big now. He's three months. He's too loud or whatever. I'm going to hide him in the in the reeds. And she puts him in an ark, if you will. She uses the same stuff, same language, the bulrushes, and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. It sounds like Noah building the ark in Genesis. And she just places the child in it and placed him among the reeds by the riverbank. She was saying, I don't know what's going to happen. The Nile River has alligators in it, crocodiles. The Egyptians went down there to bathe, apparently. She was just saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I know you don't want me to abandon this child. God, I know you don't want me to kill this child. God, I know that you're calling on me, regardless of the circumstances, it's just to be the best mother I can possibly be. And God, here it is. I'm going to preserve this child's life at all costs. Can you imagine the consequences? What if they found out that she had been hiding this baby all this time? Maybe they'd have come after her. She didn't care. She was standing on the promises of God and she places it at the riverbank. One pastor that I, that I look up to says, listen to this. This is a quote for you. If you've built your life on the confidence of the promises of God, then you can dive into your what ifs. How many people are held back right now because what if? What if? What if? What if? And he says, if your life is built in the confidence of the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ, dive into the what ifs. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to fall into the arms of God and make him catch you? I love that. I'm going to put my son in a basket and place him in the Nile River. What if a crocodile gets him? I don't know. What if they find him? I don't know. What else can I do? I'm not going to disobey God. I'm going to rest in the promises of God. I'm going to obey the way he wants me to. That's all that I know to do. Commentator Stewart says, This is not to suggest that Jochebed cared about her son more than any other Israelite women did for theirs. Or that many other women were not doing the same thing. Interesting thought. Hiding their newborns as long as possible. I'm sure many were. But it is only that Moses here writing credits his mother with doing what any responsible, caring mother would have done. Loving her baby and trying her best to keep it alive. She's standing on the promises of God. If you live long enough, I talked about this last week, you've learned that life gets hard. We all find ourselves in in situations where it's, it's a little bit tense, a bit stressful, a little bit hectic. What am I going to do? Can I tell you today that according to the word of God, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, on your what ifs. Do not. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Can you imagine being Jacobin? She did not know what was coming. She did not know what to do. So she just did her best by faith and obedience. I want you to stay right there for just a second. You don't have to turn. But you do know about Hebrews chapter 11, where the author of Hebrews is writing a whole list of people who lived by faith. And he gives examples of it. Listen to verse 23. By faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses... When he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful 
And they were not afraid of the king's edict. See, if you didn't think that they were standing on the promises of God till now, Hebrews reminds us that's what they were doing. And Hebrews tells us, and I love this too, he doesn't just say the mother. See, Exodus chapter 2 only mentions the mother. But Hebrews 11 says it was the parents. And it says that the parents, by faith in God, a redeeming, saving God who works for the glory, by faith they stood upon the promises of God, they did not listen to the king's edict, and they saved that child as much as they possibly could. They were standing on the promises of God. Will you stand on God's promises? The next time you're in a situation where disobedience is going to happen or has the potential to happen and you know that it's wrong, but you start making excuses, well, I can't help it, this is the case, uh, you know, we've done it before, yada, yada, yada. Would, would the Holy Spirit remind you that God has asked you to obey? The Great Commission says that we are to learn and be taught how to observe and obey God after after everything that he said. The mark of the believer is who says, God, you know what's better for me than what I know is better for me. So I will trust you. They were standing on the promises of God. They did not know what to do, but they trusted him. Then we get to verse 4. And at this point, the mom has just placed the baby in the basket and put him in the, in, in the reeds by the side of the river. It's crazy. So let's read to verse 4. Now we're moving to standing in the providence of God. I, I notice I said standing on the promises of God, but now you're standing in the, the providence of God. There's a difference. Verse 4 says, And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. It's fascinating. The Bible doesn't tell us how many how many sisters uh, Moses had, but it does tell us about the one named Miriam. And we do know her. So let's just say this was Miriam and she's older than Moses. And so the mom and you can you imagine how sad it is? Uh, Imagine if you had to go take your child and and drop him off at the river in a basket. Imagine if it was it was Carolina. She's our youngest 11 months and we had to go drop her off at the Ohio River. Can you imagine J.J. just going and, and watching like? What's going to happen to her? Are we going to get her back? Will we, will we see her? Mom, is she coming home? That's why I tell you all that Exodus is fascinating. These details don't need to be there. God is writing you a story that your ears and your eyes and your heart will say, Wow! He wants you to be gripped by the power of what He's doing to create a people that will love Him. Moses' sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Verse 5 says, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. Now you've got to realize, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, right? So his daughter is like a princess, tons of authority. She didn't just walk anywhere by herself. So she had like all these servants that went with her and she's going down to the river to bathe and that's what it is. And so we can imagine that maybe those servants... Stay, don't, don't get in the water with her. They stay on guard, right? They're looking to see if anybody's watching. They're looking to see if any, any guys are coming. They're looking to see if any enemies are coming. They're trying to keep it private. They're keeping her protected, okay? So she goes down to the river to bathe. And while her young women walk beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. So she sees a basket. Can you imagine? She's down there in the river. What is that? She got curious. That, that's not normal. That's not from the wild. That, somebody put that together. Looks like a lot of detail to it, too. Remember, it had all that bitumen and pitch wrapped all around it. It wasn't just like a little uh, picnic basket. It, it had some work done to it. It was a mini ark, remember? Waterproof, safe. Jacobed had been going regularly with her baby to float in the water perhaps all day. Maybe she went early morning. Maybe she went back late night to keep her baby safe. This was like a, a mini boat, a mini ark, if you will, literally. And she sees it. She says, look at that. What is that? A little boat over there. Let's, let's get it. And so they, they go and get it. Verse 6. When she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. I think it's fascinating at this point. 
that you see the human side of her. You see the every person is made in the image of God side of her. Now, the Bible teaches us that every human being is a sinner and doesn't love God. The Bible also teaches us that we're made in the image of God. And so we do have a conscience. Her dad has made the rule to kill every baby. What she should have done said, oh, it's a baby and tossed it in the river, right? So she should have done. But in some weird sense, she is now disobeying her father. She's disobeying the king and she's disobeying the father. Not standing on the promises of God, but just doing what's right. A crying baby touched her heart. Yesterday in the snow, we loaded up our whole family to go sledding. We went to Jefferson Memorial Forest, Tom Walls Park on the backside of the dam. Awesome long sledding we were doing. J.J., Eli, Noah just had it. They kept doing it. And we were about to go. The wind was blowing. And, and, and I looked at Val and I said, well, we, we really going to go? And everybody else went and Carolina didn't get to go? Val said, well, Sure. So I sat down on the sled. Carolina bundled up like an Eskimo. She's only 11 months, and I held her like this, and Val pushed me down the hill, and we, we went. My feet were too long, and so my boots were dragging, and snow's like blasting us the whole time. I get down to the bottom. She's like kicking like that. I turn around. I couldn't see any skin. Her whole face was snow. I turned around. I was like, oh, my God. Goodness, she's going to get hyperthermia. She's going to freeze to death. This is bad. So I'm like taking my snow covered gloves and wiping her face off. And in my mind, all I thought was, I better hurry back up this hill, get her to Val, wrap her up in the blanket, get her warm. You've been in a situation before where you just thought, I need to do something to help them. I need to take care of them. If you're a mom, you've seen life altered completely countless times because your child just got hurt or just got sick or something went wrong. And no matter what's on your mind, you quickly move to take care of them. The king's daughter's bathing. She finds a boat. She opens it up. There's a crying baby in it. I'm going to take care of this. Standing in the providence of God. Jochebed didn't know what to do with her baby. But she said, I'm going to do what God would have me to do. I'm going to do everything I can to take care of. If that means building a boat and setting it in the weeds in the river, that's what I'm going to do. It'll make that baby make it one more day. That baby might die in the river eventually, but not today. And in the providence of God, if you don't know the providence of God, it means that God in His sovereign power is working in every single detail of all creation to bring about His purpose. That's what the providence means. And because she stood on the promises of God and did her best to preserve the baby's life, God used that to take the, the, the Pharaoh king's daughter and had mercy when she shouldn't have, disobeyed the king, disobeyed her father, and now is caring for the baby. The providence of God in this story is fantastic. Can I encourage you here today that there are so many things going on in your life right now for your good and for the glory of God that you have no idea about. Suffering right now is creating in you something that will be glorious down the road. Something right now that you absolutely hate and you're screaming out, God, why in the world are you doing this to me, God? God has a providential purpose behind it. Can you trust that? Jochebed knew this. So she's willing to put her baby in the weeds in the river because God in His providence knows what He's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. If you were to ask me on a good day without the king's ruling, putting my baby in the river would be the dumbest thing a mother could ever do. But trusting in the providence of God that if this baby makes it one more day, who knows what could happen? 
And of all people, the king's daughter down there and has mercy on them. It reminds me of that song years ago by Cademan's Call where they say, This day's been crazy, but everything's happened on schedule. From the rain and the cold to the drink that I spilt on my shirt. For you knew how you'd save me before I fell dead in the garden. And you knew this day long before you made me out of dirt. What an awesome truth. Folks, you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You may get a promotion, make twice as much money. You may get laid off and be blindsided by it. But God absolutely knows and God is still holding you. He's holding you in the blessings and He's holding you in the cursing. He's holding you in the oppression and He's holding you in the success. All He's asking you to do is to praise Him and to trust Him. And I'm so amazed at this passage and, and, and Jochebed's faithfulness as a mother, by faith, Hebrews 11 tells us, to just do what the promises of God would have told her to do. Be faithful and obedient. One more day. One more day. One more day. Can you imagine listening to her prayers? I don't think I can do this anymore. I probably should just give up. Amram, what should we do? Let's just get rid of him. I don't want something horrible to happen. Let's just let's just get rid of him or something. I don't know what her prayers would have been. Or she could have been crying out to God saying, God, I can't take it anymore. Because I know that many of you cry that a lot. I, I don't think I can do it anymore. And she looks down at her baby. I'll do it one more day. God, I don't know how. Work it out. God, I don't know how. Work it out. And in a way that she never would have thought, here comes the king's daughter going to take a bath. Look at verse 4. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. She knew right away that it was an Egyptian. She knew right away the situation. Somebody's trying to keep this baby, but they're scared of the baby dying. Verse 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? You know how some people are brilliant. Some people are witty. Some people are just on top of it. You know, those people that are comedians, they they make a living because they're so quick and they're so sharp. And right in the moment of something, they can say something that's absolutely hilarious or brilliant, if you will. Now, we don't know how old she was. She was definitely old enough to have a conversation with the princess. But she was definitely young enough that she wasn't on the workforce. I don't know, what, six to twelve, maybe? She's stooding at a distance so that they didn't see her. Remember, the servants are there to make sure nobody sees. So she's at a distance to see, but as soon as that happens, she steps up and says, Is that a baby? Why is there a baby in the river? Now, she knows all of this. Can I, can I go get a nurse? Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And the Pharaoh's daughter's like, great idea. We don't want this baby to die. Baby's crying. Go get a nurse. Well, guess who she's going to go get? The baby's mom. Talk about the providence of God. Talk about the plan of God. So she runs. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how fast she's running? She probably took off. Mom, guess what? I'm talking to Pharaoh's daughter. And she needs somebody to come and take care of your baby. How about you? And guess what? She's going to pay you. The situation now is better than it was because of standing on the promises of God and standing in the providence of God. I do not know what tomorrow is going to be like, but I promise you, God cannot put me in a position He will not hold, that He cannot take care of. And so, she makes this great suggestion. I don't know how she kept back from laughing or smiling. Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Verse 8, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. Douglas Stewart says the turning point of the story is contained in a one word command, that of the princess, go. With that decision of the king's daughter, Moses' protection was assured. It's beautiful. God is turning the circumstances of the people of Israel, just like he did in chapter one, from a horrible, it looks like they're about to end. This great nation that God's supposed to be building is going to fall apart. They're about to kill all the babies to know. 
The birth of the Savior is here. The one that will be the leader of the people of Israel that will lead them all the way to the promised land to fulfill the plan of God and the purpose of God from Genesis 12 to Abraham to Genesis 15 to Abraham. That Moses is now going to be raised by his mom, but not in fear of his life under the protection and the provision and the payment of the Pharaoh. Can you imagine? Folks, God has such, such, such a plan. I went to high school at a high school that was like 98.5% white. There were only a few African-Americans there, and there were no international students at my high school. I didn't know anything about missions. I didn't know anything about international people. I didn't have any friends that were like Mexican or African or anything. I, I didn't know anybody like that all through high school. I had never been on a mission trip. I had never heard of a mission trip. When I was graduating high school, I thought I wanted to quit basketball, but then I decided, no, I do want to play basketball. And there was a school in Georgia that was going to give me a scholarship to play basketball. So I go down there to play basketball. And it's so far away from home that I couldn't drive back and forth on the weekends. But most of the people did. So on the weekends, guess who were the only people left on campus? Me, white country boy from North Carolina, and about a hundred international students because they didn't have anywhere to go. And for three semesters, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, It was just me and a bunch of international students. At the time, I never dreamed of marrying somebody who wasn't American. At the time, I'd never heard of a mission trip. But over the course of three semesters with nothing else to do, God gave me a roommate from Colombia. God gave me a roommate from France. God gave me a sweet mate from Turkey. God gave me all of these people in my life that were just new to me. They spoke different languages. They were completely different. They didn't care about the Bible. All of this stuff. And God started creating me a love for the nations, a love for international people, and just a fascination with it. It was during those three years where the only reason I was there was to go to school and play basketball that God called me to ministry and God opened me up to being uh, to liking international people. I had no idea. Now, in high school, if God would have said, hey, I'm going to send you down there because you're going to fall in love with international people. That wouldn't have made sense to me. But in the providence of God, that was his plan. In high school, if God would have said, hey, I'm going to send you down there because I'm going to give you a call to ministry. That wouldn't have made sense to me. I wouldn't have understood. But in the providence of God, that was his plan. You don't need to know the plan of God. Matter of fact, you cannot know the plan of God. The only way you understand the plan of God is in hindsight. Folks, we don't know what trials or blessings are coming in 2014. You don't know what's coming in 2015. But I tell you this, the God behind it can be trusted. And Jochebed and Amram were just doing the best they could. Life was hard for them. Every day they were scared to death for this baby boy. All they knew to do was hide him in the reeds by the river. And now God had turned things on its head. There is hope that the mom's going to be able to take care of the baby. Verse 8 says, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go! So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now, what's fascinating about this is, I guess, when you are uh, a mother taking care of of the baby, you you get to keep them. Notice that the language there is saying that it's not like she went to live with the princess, right? She took the baby under kind of like this contract, and once the baby gets big enough, you bring him back. And that's what the Bible says. So it's like best case scenario, literally. It's not, okay, I'll go live in your house now, take care of it, I don't really like this. No, it's, here, you take the baby, take care of him, nurse him. Once he gets big enough, maybe he's done nursing or whatever, you bring him back, he'll be my son. That, that's how it ends. She's going to name him Moses and she becomes, he becomes her son. It's fascinating. So the situation, I don't know how many days it was um, in between all of that, or maybe there was no, maybe it was the very day. But so the mom gets to raise her son, but instead of being in fear of they're going to kill my baby, the mom gets to raise her son now. Loving, nursing her own child, raising him up. It's unbelievable. You could not have predicted this. 
Her bold move ends up bringing about a situation that surely Moses' mother could not have imagined possible when she told her. She is paid wages to nurse her own son. I told you this story before. In March of 2003, I drove up here to check out the seminary. See if I want to go to school here. I'd never been to Kentucky in my life. And up here on I-64, as y'all know, when you are coming out of Shelby County into Jefferson County, Louisville's extended way out now, the metro limits, and the speed limit drops down from like 65 to 55 without really telling you, or no lights or no city or nothing like that. So my 70 cruise control for a 65 speed limit is now 15 over and a 55, and I'm just cruising right along, and immediately, as soon as I hit Louisville Metro and I-64 right up here, trying to make it in here, I got pulled over, I got a ticket that night. I thought, I don't like Kentucky. I don't even want to come to seminary here if they're going to give me a ticket. I didn't know. I said to the cop, I didn't know. I'd never been here before. I didn't know about Metro. I didn't know it changed or whatever. He said, you should have known. I didn't like that. Mean cop. And I got a ticket. I was only here for two days. I had to pay a ticket here downtown, Louisville. I drove back to North Carolina. I didn't know what I was going to do. My dad said, you ain't driving back up there just pay a ticket. I didn't know what I was going to do. I met Josh Powell up at the seminary. Never knew him. I gave it a shot. I called him. I said, man, I hate to tell you this or I hate to ask you this, but I got a ticket and I need to pay it. You think you go pay it for me? I'll mail you like a check or something. He did. Through that ongoing conversation, which took about a week, me and Josh Powell became good friends. When I moved up here, I had to meet with him and tell him to thank you. When I moved up here, got to hang around him. He said, hey, would you like to work with the youth here in Fairdale at First Baptist Church? That was in July of 2003. I didn't know anything about Fairdale. Eleven years later, J.J., Eli, Noah, Carolina, love life, love you all, love Tom Wallace Park at Jefferson Memorial Forest. All we know is Chieftain Drive, 40118 is where we live, it's who we are. Y'all are our family. There's no way any of you could have known that that ticket that night where I was mad, I stopped at a gas station. I was so mad. I was popping my like Sobe glass drink. The bottle shattered all over the gas station that night. I was so mad about this ticket because I can't afford a ticket that I'm like popping my glass like this in my hand and it shattered all over the place. So I'm now cleaning up a drink with a speeding ticket in the gas station. There's no way. There's no way you and I would have known that that ticket would have led us to this point. God knows what he's doing. And you and I can stand on the promises of God. And when we are standing on the promises of God, saying, God, I know that you know what's best. My obedience, my dependency upon you, my faithfulness, trusting in you, will cause you to say, God knows what he's doing with me, even though it doesn't look like it. That you will stand in the providence of God. What Jason and Michelle Fowler have been going through the last couple weeks has broken our hearts. It's hard. And they're leaving. By the way, Jason will preach tonight for his last time. I encourage you to be here tonight to hear Jason preach. And it's been hard on Jason and Michelle. Y'all know that. For the last month, you know what we've seen? We've seen a godly woman warrior cling to the promises of God like nobody else. Have you heard a complaint? No. Have you seen any being upset from her? No. All you might have seen are a couple of Facebook posts about God and His goodness and knows what He's doing. You know what else we've seen? We've seen a husband take care of his wife, take care of his wife, 
and take care of his wife. We're living in a day where you don't get to see too many husbands live like Jesus towards their spouses. But in the providence of God, in circumstances none of us would have wished for, none of us would have understood, I've been blessed. We've been blessed. God has a way of getting a result that we want through means we don't want. But once the result comes, we praise Him. Did you hear me? God has a way of getting the result He wants through some means that we don't want. But once it happens, we worship. That's the goal. That is the goal. When Adam and Eve listened to Satan and did not listen to God, all hell broke loose and it looked horrible for the rest of history. And the way that you get back to the worshiping the glorious Creator God is not always pretty. And life's not going to go beautiful and smooth the way you want it to. There are going to be hiccups and bumps and strife and crying and dissension and frustration all the time. It's not going to be the way you want it to. But if you will stand on the promises of God and stand in the providence of God, He has me where He wants me. He knows what He's doing with me. I will trust Him. I will praise Him in the storm like they sing. You can bet that when it's all said and done, He'll get the glory. And you'll be glad he did. When Moses is born, Israel's future starts looking up. Their leader, their savior is here and he's safe. If you had tried to say at the beginning of Exodus chapter 2, here's what they need. They need a boy to be born to save them. We'd all say, no, a boy born, they're going to kill him. Not when God's in it. The Old Testament ends. Where's hope going to come from? 400 years, God's silent. The New Testament begins with the birth of our Savior. And when you and I thought there was no hope for you or me or us, just at the right time, Romans 5 says, Jesus died for the ungodly. Will you today believe that Christ is what you need to get your life back praising God? You don't need Him to fix your circumstances. You need to trust Him. And you only trust Him through forgiveness of sins, through Jesus as Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Exodus. Yet again, God, your great sovereign hand bringing about an amazing, amazing situation that is for your good, that is fulfilling your promise, is not what anybody would have expected. Father, may we trust you. Lead us to a place where we will stand on the promises of God and stand in the providence of God as we believe, as we trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.